Hello and welcome back to the Inner Network podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Bob Oray. Bob Oray features affordable, handcrafted, genuine leather bags made in Beverly Hills. You can shop their pieces in person in Beverly Hills and Montreal and online at boboray.com. You could also use the code KYLA10 to get 10% off your next purchase. Today, I'm joined by Carly Fortune. Carly is an author and award-winning journalist who has served as an editor at some of Canada's top publications. Most recently, she served as the executive editor at Refinery29 Canada, and since then has launched her first novel called Every Summer After. We talk more about her experience transitioning from her role as an editor to an author, advice she has for aspiring writers, and the behind the scenes of writing a novel. As always, you can find all of the links in the show notes, but in the meantime, I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Carly. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you. I feel like I've been following you for quite some time on Twitter. So it's been... I am. I am very old. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just so nice to have you um, and to chat with you about your life and your career. So before we get started, I always love to ask what you're most looking forward to this week. Oh, that's a great question. Um, let's see. Well, I just finished up revisions on the second draft of my second book. So I'm sending those off to the printer. So I'm very much looking forward to, to getting that print out back. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. And I'd love to get into that later on, on like what the process even looks like with writing a book. Cause I can only imagine it takes months and years to create, but that's so exciting. And I'm, I'm glad that you're able to, you know, get all of these things done during the pandemic while being a mom. And I know you're a new mom. So um, that's so awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm a a new mom again. I just had my second child. So okay. Yes, yes. That's so exciting. Well, before we get into, you know, the stuff that we want to talk about when it comes to navigating the publishing world and talking about pivoting careers, I'd love if you could give a brief introduction of your personal and career background. Sure. Yeah. So um, I am a former um, editor. I have worked in media for 16 years, most recently as the executive editor at Refinery29 Canada. Um, And I recently made the decision to leave that job to commit myself full time to uh, fiction writing. My first novel, uh, which is called Every Summer After, is coming out in May, and I'm currently working on my second book. But most of my professional career, I or all of it, actually, I have been an editor at uh, various publications across Canada, including 
the Globe and Mail and Chatelaine and Toronto Life. And otherwise, outside of work, um, I'm a mother of two boys. Uh, I live in Toronto. And and that's pretty much me in a nutshell. I grew up in small town Ontario (laughs) and uh, went to journalism school and have have been crawling my way through the world since then. Oh, that's awesome. And thank you for providing that intro. Did you know from a young age that writing and, you know, being in the publishing world was always what you wanted to do? Um, No, not really. I didn't know, you know, when I was younger, the first job I ever wanted to have was uh, to be a florist. And uh, then I wanted to be a marine biologist, which is, uh, I lived in Australia when I was very, very young, which makes more sense as an Aussie kid and does not make sense if you're growing up yeah. in Ontario. <laughs> um, and then at, after that, I wanted to be a veterinarian, but I was terrible at science. And uh, it was later um, in grade school that I kind of started to love writing, but I never really saw it as a career for me, for myself. Um, I had it in my head that you couldn't make any money as a writer. And I certainly didn't, didn't think I would be able to get a job in the media world, in the magazine world. So I, I did end up studying journalism, but I, I like really didn't see it happening for myself yeah. for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Even when I was in journalism school, I didn't didn't think I would yeah. end up in journalism. Well, I feel like with writing too, and I mean, it's my kind of my personal experience. I'm in no, like by no means a, a good writer and I'm in advertising, but I feel like you really start to get to know your writing style in high school. I feel like when you're in middle school, you kind of, you know, do those small papers, but in high school, that's when they actually challenge you and you're able to write a bit more and have essays. So do you think in that moment is when kind of you started writing a bit more and then knowing that you wanted to go into journalism school? Um, oh, in high school, I, I, my essays were not good, (laughs) like not poorly written, but certainly not great. Like very traditional three, like, you know, three main paragraph argument essays that I, I like carried on through till the university and only when I was in university and started getting terrible grades did I realize that I I didn't actually know how to write a, a fantastic essay. I would say, no, like it wasn't in high school. I think the most creative writing work I did was in grade school. My grade six teacher had us do creative writing every morning in a little, oh, I like, love a little book. And she, I think, really was the first person who said to me, like, you're, you're, you're good at this. And she sent me to a full day writers workshop wow. at, at a, at a high school, kind of a few towns over. And uh, that was, that was where I kind of got the the love of of writing, I would say. But it it wasn't until um, I think it was in grade twelve or maybe in in OAC when I was in high school. We had a, we had grade thirteen, and uh, my I didn't know what we had a university fair at our high school. I had no idea what what to. Um, talk to all the different, you know, you, there's all these tables with different universities. I had no idea what to talk to those people about or what course I was interested in. And my friend was like, you know, you really love magazines. 
you should ask them about journalism. And so I did. It was just kind of a spur of the moment thing. And I did. I truly loved magazine magazines. I had had a, a room full of them. Um, my walls were plastered with with magazine pullouts. And um, I had like a I could I had a, a memory. I had like I don't know, five years of teen magazines and Vogue <laughs> magazines and 17 magazines and YMs like memorized in my head. Like I, I, I could find you whatever article you <laughs> wanted from whatever year. Um, so that, that university fair day, I, I went around from table to table to try to figure, f- figuring out which schools offered journalism. And it kind of solidified in my, in my head that working at a magazine was a job that you could have because that was something my friend suggested. But before that, I didn't really think of it. Do you think when you kind of had that idea of going into journalism school and working at a magazine, did you have that sort of like devil wears Prada, like moment thinking that, you know, I'm going to be in New York, I'm going to have this like big editor job. No, not at all. I grew up in like a teeny tiny town, like, <laughs> like, uh, uh, my town, there were 1200 people in the town where I grew up. Oh my gosh. What town so, was it? It's called Barry's Bay. It's, um, it's, it's in Eastern Ontario, um, East of Algonquin park, beautiful yeah. part of the world. Um, it's where partially where I set my, my book and it is, you know, I didn't grow up with a knowledge of what the publishing world looked like. I guess the closest kind of glimpse into that world was through fashion media with fashion television, which Jeannie Becker hosted. That was kind of the, the most insight that I got into that world. And I, you know, when I was young, I wanted to work at fashion magazines because that was, that was kind of what I, what I knew of, but I really didn't have any kind of picture mm-hmm. of it at all. <laughs> and it was pre-Devil, this was pre-Devil Wars product. So did you find that there were specific things that you took away from your previous roles that kind of helped you launch and grow Refinery29 Canada? Yes, for sure. I launched that in September of twenty. 20- uh, 18. And I had recently left my job at Chatelaine magazine to do that. And yeah, I mean, it's hard to, you know, sum it up in one thing that I took, that I took away because at that point I had spent over a decade in this, in this business. But I think what at, at, at that time in my career, um, I was still, you know, a, a young manager um, working at Charlene was the first time I'd been a manager. And I was kind of at the point where I was learn, like really figuring out what kind of culture I wanted to create in a workplace. It was the first time I was ever in a position to hire a team, to build a team, to lead a team. And so what I was really thinking about was what workplace did I want to create from a people perspective, from a vibe perspective. Um, And that was about looking at all of my own experiences, the great bosses that I've had, the experiences that I've had that weren't so great. And I think that that's the thing I really focused on aside, aside from the content. um, The thing that was kind of most important to me at Refinery was building a wonderful team and a, and a, and a really good place to work. Yeah, no, I think that's really important because I think with just any role, I mean, having a manager that one has your back and two acknowledges that they want a really great workplace, I think is 
a good stepping stone. So um, that's really great to hear. And, you know, when it comes to setting yourself apart in the industry and you've had, you know, the experience of building your own team with refinery and kind of hiring those people, what sets someone apart with, you know, writing because you submit your, your writing samples, but is there anything specific that you typically look for? Yeah, for sure. I think that um, one of the things that really becomes clear pretty quickly is whether somebody has um, done their homework and they understand what the publication is, what they've published, who their their audience is, um, the kinds of stories that they tell. Um, so you're definitely, when you're hiring a writer, at a publication, you're, you're looking for somebody who like gets that. And it sounds very straightforward, but you would be surprised that by, you know, the number of people you talk to who aren't really familiar with what you do, why you do it and who you, who you do it for. So um, you want that. And then the other thing is looking for somebody um, who, and this is just on the writing side. I mean, there are so many other things when mm-hmm. you're making a hire, but as a writer, I think you're really looking for somebody who brings ideas to the table and, and, you know, we we're, I'm not looking for like an investigative reporter. Yeah. So, so it depends, depends on what role it is you're hiring for, but for what I was hiring for and not that, not that reporting and journalism was a huge part of it, but what I was really looking for is somebody who could kind of look at the Canadian media landscape and say, for our audience, this is the white space. These are the stories that aren't being told. These are the people who aren't being spoken to. Um, this is, these are the topics that I'm passionate about. And here's what I, here's like, if you give me this platform, here's what I think we should do with it. And somebody who really has the confidence and uh, insight to say that. So I, I, that was something I really, really looked for. Yeah. And I think nowadays as well, it's really easy to kind of get your, your samples out there. Like a lot of editors that I've seen and met kind of in the industry have their own website where they kind of put their stories there as well. And if they're freelancing, like they're able to kind of take their own ideas and put it on their website and have it published somewhere. So I think those are all really great points of advice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so, it's one of the challenges of working in in media or in, you know, whether you're in digital media and new media or in, in legacy media is there's so much content out there right now. So how, how do you stand out among everything that's being produced? And so when you're hiring somebody to come on board um, as a staff member, you want them to not only be able to like do the work, like string a sentence together, do great interviews, um, be a responsible journalist, but you're, you're also, you also want, I always was looking for somebody who saw the bigger picture, like where do, where does refinery 29 sit in the greater Canadian media landscape? And like, who was a bit more of a like strategic thinker, because I think, especially we were a small team. So, you know, I want to always want people who, who think big. What I will say is I loved the money diary section. Mm-hmm. It was something that I always read like week over week. So um, even just having stories like that, that kind of go into so much detail. <laughs> 
Money Diaries is tremendously popular. I can take no credit for the creation of Money <laughs> Diaries. That was a, that was a Refinery29 franchise in the U.S. long before I came on board. We did bring it over to Canada, and it is immensely popular. Yeah. And I think a very um, smart, important piece of um, content that, that Refinery does. Yeah, no, definitely. As you were transitioning through, you know, stepping away from being at Refinery and writing your novel, did you find that there were big differences in your writing style? And did you ever have to pivot and be like, you know, I'm writing for a novel now. I'm not writing, you know, for a publication. Like, what was that experience like for you? Yes, it was so fun. Um, so I was, I, I wrote my book in 2020. Um, I began the summer of 2020 and finished um, by the end of that year. And it was something I did kind of on the side before work in the morning. So I'd get up really, really early in the morning before my son woke up and worked away at it until I had to start my job. Yeah. Um, but it was... It was so fun. I like the. <laughs> this sounds so ridiculous, but the biggest difference between journalism and fiction is that you can make stuff up yeah. <laughs> when you're writing a novel. And I know, I know that sounds like the most basic um, idea, but actually, it wasn't until I was like quite a ways into my first book where I was stuck, and then it dawned on me. I was like, well. I could just get myself unstuck. I just yeah. make it up. Yeah. Um, and of course there, you know, there is still, your book still has to feel true and, you know, fundamentally it needs to, to be real, but it is very different than, than have, having to write a book that is factually accurate. <laughs> um, and I had been approached, I had thought about writing nonfiction books and the idea held no appeal to me whatsoever. Like it just, seemed like work and writing um, novels to me while it is work. And, and certainly my second book is a lot more work than my first, but it is um, just, there's just a lot more play involved. When you wrote um, every summer after was that was during the lockdown. So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of things were obviously going on in the world and still are going on in the world. But I know when we were chatting before you'd mentioned that you had been at the cottage. So I feel like it kind of goes hand in hand with like every summer after you're writing at the cottage. So when it comes to kind of navigating writing your novel and being in the lockdown, like what was that experience like? And did that at all help being locked down and being able to just hone in on being in the cottage and just writing? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think I would have done, written the book if it hadn't been for the circumstances that I found myself facing in 2020. I was living that summer. Um, I was living, as you said, at a, at a cottage, not my cottage. It was a friend of a friend of the family. I grew up on a lake. I grew up on a lake in Barry's Bay. My parents sold that house many years ago. Uh, they still live in the area. And I, I, my family, like my husband and myself and my kids, we we're very fortunate that a friend of the family lets us rent his cottage <laughs> in the area uh, every summer. But he's American. And so he was not able to use his cottage in 2020 because of the border issues. So he let us squat there for the entire <laughs> summer. And it, you know, I was in this part of the world where I had grown up and gone to high school at the lake, um, feeling 
very nostalgic, um, certainly, and also um, really, uh, like, on a professional level, extremely stressed out. And I remember very clearly one day after having a particularly brutal phone call um, at work, kind of like hanging up the phone and thinking, God, I should write my book. <laughs> like I, I have not done any creative work for myself since high school. I've always been so fo- so focused on my, my job and um, I need to do something for myself. In 2020, I need to do something for myself. Yeah. And so I said to myself, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. I've always wanted to write a book. I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to finish it by the end of the year. And so that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I can only imagine that pivoting your career, I mean, not even pivoting your career, you're still in, you know, media, you're still in you know, the world of writing, but just taking your role in, you know, more so corporate and kind of doing your own thing. Like that's, a very hard thing to do. So when it came to doing that, like, was there anything that you leaned on as you were making those decisions? Were there any boundaries that, you know, you kind of realized that you needed to make? Like you mentioned, you hadn't done anything for yourself creatively. Like, what did that thought process look like? Um, Well, I was very fortunate. So when I finished my book, I was extraordinarily lucky to get a few, like the kind of one of the hardest, hurt, biggest hurdles as, a, as an author of um, fiction, from what I understand, is getting an agent <laughs> to take on <laughs> yeah. your book. So you have to write. So when you write fiction, you have to finish your book. Then you have to find somebody to read the book, an agent to read the book. And then that part of like one agent has to like it enough to want to represent you. Yeah. And so I was very fortunate to have at the end of last year, have a few agents who were interested in in representing me. And one of them was kind of my dream agent. Um, Her name is Taylor. And it was like around this time last year, it was right before the holidays, Taylor and I had a phone call and um, we decided to work, we were going to work together. And so that was crazy. Like that was something I did not see coming. And then in March of this year, March of this year, she sold, she sold the book in an auction um, to Penguin. Uh, Berkeley is the imprint at Penguin. And I did not see that future for myself when I was writing the book. It was, was not something I anticipated and it was a two book deal. So I was, you know, very lucky to be in the situation where I could really seriously think about um, pursuing this for a little while mm-hmm. as a full t- as a full time gig. Um, I also I had a baby, my second baby, in April, and so during that mater- the maternity leave, I was uh, you know my husband and I were talking a lot about whether we should I should just kind of give it a full time go. Um, and so it was really like talking with my husband um, about making this change and making a big leap that I decided to just kind of blow things up and <laughs> go try um, life as a writer for a while. Yeah, no, that's really exciting. Cause I think too, with writing a book, like you meant, like even just the stuff that you've mentioned, you don't really think about what goes into it as well. So getting an agent, getting the book actually sold. So those are things that are new to me, but when it comes to writing, editing, getting everything finished, what does that look like? And how does that 
Or how long does that typically take usually? Oh, I don't think there's a typical or a usual. <laughs> I think it's I think it's so different for everyone and every book. And it's true. I don't I don't think it's, you know, for one author, I think it's different book to book as well. Um, so there's there's just like no one way that it happens. For me, um, I'm a very goal-oriented person. So I like set myself a word count goal when I write um, for, you know, I want to get X number of words a day. That's how I did my first book. I like calculated, okay, by the end of this year, I need to get 80,000 <laughs> words done. So if I divide 80,000 by the numbers, number of days in the year, I have to write 388 words a year or a day. And so that's what I did. Um, of course, like some days I wrote more than that. And that's how I reached my goal. And um, the way that I write is I, I write without rereading as an editor, that can be, for me, that is the kiss of death. I will just like edit myself into the ground. Yeah. Um, so I have to kind of take that pressure off myself and just say, just, just get it down. Like, even if it sucks, get it down. And that's what I did for my second book too. I just kind of <laughs> wrote it <laughs> and then have gone about uh, my second draft. I basically like rewrote quite a quite a large chunk of it yeah. um and I'm now like refining um before I submit a draft to my editor my first book wasn't as arduous I think because it was kind of like sitting in my heart for a long time and uh not something I'd been thinking about consciously but it was just kind of there with me and it, it seemed to kind of pour out um not fully formed there's I've had a lot of help I had a lot of help with it but but it was it was there did you find that just with having the experience with writing a fictional novel and being a writer and an editor at a publication. You mentioned, it's really funny that you mentioned The Kiss of Death because I didn't even realize like rereading your own work would just like send you down into a spiral. I avoid <laughs> writing at all costs. So <laughs> um, when it comes to like your best tips or advice to writers that are maybe aspiring writers or people that are already in the industry, like what advice would you have to give for both being a writer in a publication and being a writer of a novel? I think for somebody who has aspirations to write, whether that's um, nonfiction, short form nonfiction, like, you know, articles, or whether that is long form fiction, um, is to read, which yeah, it's pretty simple, but I don't think it goes without saying, um, because, you know, whether you, I don't think you necessarily need to go to journalism school. I don't think you necessarily need a, uh, MFA to write a book, but I do think you need to immerse yourself with what it is that you hope to produce. So if mm -hmm. you're hoping to be a magazine writer or, you know, I mean, I use the, ma the term magazine very loosely um, <laughs> because magazines take all of the shapes and forms these days. But, um, you know, if you're, if you're hoping to write like that, you need to read it. You need to know like who, who is publishing what and what a great feature is and what yeah. a bad feature is and what you like and what you don't like. And the same thing goes with books and across genres. And, um, I, as when I, you know, as a hiring manager, certainly, um, came across a lot of job candidates who, we're not reading, not only we're not reading, you know, Refinery29, but just we're reading media, really. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, I think it's so important. I think it's like tremendously important. And I have in the past in, you know, when I, when I took my first maternity leave with my first child, I had this idea of writing a book and I started in on like a chapter or two and I couldn't get anywhere. I was just like going through mud. Um, (laughs) And it's because I wasn't reading. I had, I had given up reading novels uh, in my day to day. I read so much and it wasn't relaxing to me to read. And um, it wasn't until in, I think it was in 2018, I started reading again and voraciously like, and in, like just stopped watching TV in the, in the evening. And I just mm-hmm. read books. I just read so so many books. Um, and so when I, I didn't realize it, but when I sat down to write my book, I had already kind of studied what it is, how, how a book of my genre was structured and what the beats were and, right. and what it was that I liked and didn't like. And, and I, th- I just think that is how you learn and how you in a way develop, develop a voice and figure out what you like and don't like. And that's so important. Um, When it comes to a pinch me moment in your life, it's something that I always love to ask because, you know, I can assume that one of your pinch me moments is writing your first novel, but is there anything maybe within that or outside of that, that comes to mind when it comes to a pinch me moment? Yeah, I, you know what, I think I've been so fortunate to have a lot of them. Like recently, the novelist Jody Pico blurbed my book. Um, so that was extremely exciting. A blurb is like a quote an author gives about a, a, about a book. That was kind of surreal for me. Um, and I don't know, I feel like every step along the way I've had these, I never, you know, I never expected to find myself in the positions that I've been in like when I when I was um, in high school or when I was even in journalism school I didn't expect to get to where I got to and yeah you know two years ago a year ago I didn't expect to be where I am now so every kind of moment has felt a little pinch me Um, Mm -hmm. I remember like going to New York for the first time um, which is where the Refinery29 offices were. It's like when I went there for the first time for work and feeling, I loved Refinery29 like since it had launched back in the day. And that felt really special. The first, when I got my internship at Toronto Life, um, walking into that office the first day <laughs> was pretty phenomenal. And I remember once at Refinery sitting down, I don't know if it was like a holiday cocktail thing or if it was I don't know what it was for but we were all sitting around the whole like Mm -hmm. big group and looking at everyone and just being like wow this is so effing awesome like this is just the best group of people and I'm so lucky to be here so I think I think I've had a lot of them yeah no that's really good to hear I think it's funny that you say you know, the small, even the small things, like you've accomplished so much, but even just remembering like your first internship and your first like desk and cubicle, like even just those moments, like not forgetting about those. Cause I think you dream about like where you are now and not taking the time to kind of realize that. I think, you know, it's super important to just take that time and that, that moment to just congratulate yourself. I feel like it's so important. Yeah, those those little moments aren't so aren't so little. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Well, you know, before we end things off, I know you mentioned, you know, some advice that you have to give for aspiring writers, but I'd love if, you know, you have anything to share for somebody that's looking to pivot their careers or make a change in their career and like something that you have maybe taken for yourself as you've been on this journey of writing a novel and being in a new space that you've never been in before? Yeah, um, it's been very scary, to, to, to be honest. Making the change was extremely terrifying. So it's been helpful to have people around me who, uh, as well as a therapist, to help <laughs> me through um, my anxiety. I guess, you know, I talk to a lot of young people. I, I try to make time for for people who are starting out in their their careers um, to chat with them if they reach out. And one of the things I hear a lot is, you know, I'm working in X field, but what I really want to be doing is X. Yeah. And I would say before you make that decision or before you make any big changes to just take a pause (laughs) Um, because having a full-time job is no small thing. Mm -hmm. It's a really incredible thing. Um, And to think about whether the thing you're thinking about pivoting to is something that you just love, that you appreciate as a consumer, or if it's something that you think you would love producing, working Mm -hmm. in, because it's different. Yeah. Um, It's different to love websites and media as a consumer than it is to work in them. It's a, it's a punishing industry. It's tough. Mm -hmm. And so those two things are different. So I would do your research about, about what it really is that you're thinking of going into, talk to people, um, figure out how the money works. (laughs) Money is tremendously important. And at least it it is, it is to me. And, you know, really, really think about it, think about it and don't rush. Like life is long, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. So, so don't rush. I appreciate what you said about, you know, obviously everything, but just the money piece as well. Cause I think oftentimes we, we think, you know, this is our dream job. This is our dream career. Money doesn't matter. And of course there is a level where, you know, I want to be in my dream career and maybe I'll take a pay cut if I was in that position. But there are also instances where you need to survive and you need to make a livable wage. So I think that's mm-hmm. super important. And I appreciate you taking the time to chat and just sharing everything that you've, you've experienced in your career and all of the advice that you have. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. 